I shared a story about McKenna jumping in at a party between her best friend and an abusive boyfriend, and it ended her D1 hockey scholarship that she was getting. She got a concussion. He went after her because she attacked him. And I was losing my mind after I heard what happened. I'm looking for this kid to like, like kill him, right? And McKenna would not tell me where he lived. And she grabbed my hand as I'm pacing back and forth. And she pulled me down on the bed. She said, Dad, your whole life, you and Mom taught us to be peacemakers. And she goes, you don't think that always works out, do you? And I just remember like being so proud of her, but also so broken that God had asked her to step in and be a peacemaker in that way. But again, you know, to me, the hardest thing is to give your own trust of the Lord over your own life way harder, 30 times harder is to trust your kids yep. to the Lord. And so I think the discipleship thing, it's not just how we disciple our kids, it's are we disciples? Can we trust God literally with the physical life of our children? Welcome to the Everyday Disciple Podcast, where you'll learn how to live with greater intentionality and an integrated faith that naturally fits into every area of life. In other words, discipleship as a lifestyle. This is the stuff your parents, pastors, and seminary professors probably forgot to tell you. And now, here's your host, Caesar Kalinowski. Well, guess what? It all worked out. If you were with me last week, I mentioned I was hoping to get a very special guest, one of our most popular guests ever, back on the podcast. And I didn't tell you who it was, and I'm still not going to for a moment, but it worked out. I'm going to bring him on in just a minute. Uh, Before I do, I just want to invite you to join us over on Facebook. If you're not in the Facebook group yet, then we're missing hanging out together, because that's where you can reach me, find me, ask questions, make sure you're not missing out on training opportunities and resources and all that stuff. Just go over to Facebook, dig around for the Everyday Disciple podcast, or you can go to everydaydisciple.com forward slash Facebook. And uh, come on into the group. I would love to meet you there and get to know you a little bit better and get some ideas for upcoming episodes, all that stuff. Okay, so now, here we go. Drum roll. (laughs) I'm stoked to have my buddy, the man, the legend. He's going to hate that I just said that. Uh, Hugh Halter on with me. Hey, brother. How's it going, man? Man, man, man. Everybody was thinking it's Clooney. It's Darn it's it. like somebody, real, like, who's Hugh Halter? But anyway, I'm glad to be here with you, Caesar. Well, there's three Hugh Halters, and so we're going to have to clarify which Hugh Halter. <laughs> oh, it's good to be on with you, man, always. And we should have probably recorded the last half hour of us just catching up and jawboning. But anyway, man, I'm so glad to have you on. This is great. How's the family doing? How's things? Good. You know, word on the streets is my youngest daughter, you know, had a tough bout with uh, potentially dying on us about three weeks ago. Uh, I know the day we actually launched this book, (laughs) you know, you always have those weird, overly spiritual people that go, Oh, this all happened because you launched a book about your family. So you're, I was like, no, the book's not that good to take (laughs) what we just took, but yeah, we, uh, she's doing great. And uh, I've never thought about family more than I have in the last three weeks and thankful for, uh, what we have and what team K has and, so many well, families in the country that have been doing missional life and yeah. No kidding. I, I was thinking one thing that really bound us together as friends and helped establish really uh, to our wives and our even our families as friends was that we both did kind of raise our families, our kids the same way to be 
kind of part of everything we were doing in life, not separate and, you know, bifurcated away. And and most importantly, they were always part of the mission with us. I, and I've always loved that about you. And I, I think it always felt like we were cut from the same cloth. And when you're here or when we've been at your house, it's, uh, <laughs> it's not, uh, it doesn't feel that different. Like, cause your right. kids are great and they're super engaging. Even when your girls were in high school, they didn't treat me like, who's the weirdo? Like they were just like, here's oh, one more guy in the family. Way. I saw McKenna goes back to school for the first time. And, you know, since this, deal happened and I saw you commenting to her just like giving her a thumbs up and that's a big deal to her because she remembers how you guys lived uh you know and you guys even coming out to Denver back in the day all those things I don't know it's just kind of an amazing little deal that um that God's family trumps our nuclear families like this this thing called the church it's actually more important than our our little, you know, wife and husband and three kids, um, that what God builds around the world is literally a family. It's not an institution. It's not a religion. It literally is a family. It's so literally family. Yeah. I'm, I'm thankful that my kids have lots of dads and lots of big uncles and cousins. And yeah. You're, man, you're one of them. You know, it's surprising, though. It's surprising, Hugh, how much pushback I get when I say things like that to people or people write in here in the podcast. They're like, no, 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 you don't treat everybody like family. And they they have this whole list of who's in and who's out. You know, they have their nuclear family and everybody's outside that. But then even within the church, no, 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 brothers and sisters, family. Nope, it's only it's only this. And they point to like one verse and then they hang their hat on it. And I'm like, why are you working so hard <laughs> to yep. exclude people from your life that God has sent Jesus on a mission to come and get into your lives and into his life. I don't, I don't understand why you'd want to go that direction so hard. You know, now I just try to say, hey, if you're going to hang in on one verse, that's great. But go ahead. Let's just hang in on, you know, uh, the greatest commandment, the hinge point, what all the law and the prophet hinges on. He says, huh, love me with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and then love these other families that live next door to you as much as you love your own family. That's literally the translation of that. So yeah, let's pick one, but let's pick that one because I would change the world. Let's uh, go for that one, the summary one. Yeah, no kidding. Well, it does seem all too rare to have raised kids who as adults still love God and people and live closely connected as family. I count that as one of my greatest blessings. Every week it somehow comes up and I go, I, and I know you have the exact same relationship with your kids. It's like they still, they love God. They're they're generous. They love people. They live open homes. And they love mom and dad. They're like our pals. We're going on vacation in a couple of days together again. And they invited us. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's all that. It's, it seems all too rare. It just, it's, I don't know why it's such an anomaly, especially within the church. Yeah, I think it's the culture. I think it's the culture of the world, right? It likes to make us have little compartments of life. But the church took on that from the world. Like the church got discipled from the world. Like let's separate us from fetus to you know, college group, let's have our kids in age appropriate, you know, Sunday schools and let's make them leave the minivan. Mom and dad will go in that room and they'll go in this room. And we thought we were doing the right thing. I, th I think that's what we thought good parenting was. Um, but the halters, we never got to do that. You know, Ryan's epilepsy kept us at home. We weren't able to do all that church stuff. So we just had to create church where our home was, which meant the kids were with us on everything, and we were with them. We let them lead the mission as much as, you know, they followed us in mission. So, um, you know, at the time, I think Cheryl and I even had moments where we thought, our, have we short-sheeted our own children? Mm. Did we make it too hard? But now that they become grown adults and chose to go to Alton, Illinois with us as a family, that was like a family conversation, not knowing what they would do here, who they would even know, uh, if they would ever have friends again like they had in Denver, but they all said, yeah, let's go do another mission together. 
And now they are they're just some of the best missionaries I know. And, um, you know, we always say what's unique maybe about the halters is not anything special, but we do, we have chosen to do hard things together. But we'll talk about that. Halters do hard things. Like we, uh, none of our kids picked money careers. They picked people careers and they picked like busted, broken people careers. So, um, and they get busted by that. You know, the, our family, you know, they do foster care and McKenna works in Ferguson School District as a counselor. So, you know, every day they can drive home bummed out. But that's just what we've decided to, to do. You know, the stories are so terrible out in the world, but they went, that's what we want to do. So I, I wish at times that they had picked easier things, more selfish things. But um, I did, I do think they picked that up from us. At least they attribute that to watching mom and dad over the years, you know, take people into the house or, yeah heavier weights and, and and i i'm i'm glad we did it now i look back and i go i think when we stand before god i think you know we screwed up a thousand different little mini decisions but i go we got great kids i think did something right you know yeah and even that picture there of the the career choices and the way they live and they get to come home bummed you know what a picture of the cross and what a picture of christ when we throw a shoulder under the pain and consequences of other people's crappy choices, right? Totally. That's exactly yep. what Jesus did. He didn't come to like sweep up the gold dust that I was like flying off my life. He threw a shoulder under the crappy decisions and messed up stuff in my life and said, I'm going to take that for you. Yep. I lo- right? I, lo- I love the way you say stuff, bro. He's <laughs> low. Oh. Well, what, give me some thoughts on why we're seeing, you know, so many kids, and it's not just now, it's been for a, a bit of a season, sort of just mass exodus of kids who once they can they're done with church man like it's for them it's like thanks but i don't have to go anymore i think it's a it's the simplest answer in the world ultimately every every person does what they feel inspired to do and they do what where the meaning is and if if kids are leaving the catholic church and the the baptist church at the same amount which they are now between 16 and 18 as soon as they can get the car keys they're like i'm out it means that the story has just simply not been big enough to hold them. Mm. So, you know, I would say religion is not a big enough story to hold our kids. Uh, morality is not a big enough story to hold our kids. Um, so what you're left with is either a real story or it's this like weird compartmentalized deal that we've been pushing and they just go, yeah, I don't want to do it anymore. Yeah, crazy. It's crazy. But that I think that's how they read it. I think that's how they do see it. You know, what you're saying there, we started noticing... Um, in the young people in the church in Eastern Europe, and we were really working hard to see churches planted, and that was a dirty word. Why are you going to start more churches? No one's in the ones we have, you know. Like, but they expected these young, like 19, 20, 21 year olds who were on on fire, loving Jesus, and so excited. But they expected them to sort of submit to this eighty year old elder board, and they didn't want to do anything, and like, whatever. And so they were going off and just going, you know what? I'm going to go to the university in the big city at the capital and get a yeah. career. And I'm still going to love Jesus. What was what was going on is we told them, you've not given them a big enough reason and vision for their lives no. to say no to that. Because you're saying, stick around here in this stinky, musty old building with the 40, 20 of us, whatever it is, and stack chairs. And then we're going to tell you everything you're doing wrong about it. And they're like, as soon as we showed them that they could live this in their everyday life with their friends, in their flats, in their apartments, at a pub, they, here's how you can start to you know live this out. They were like excited, and I remember I remember this one guy's like, well, we started three churches this last year. He's 19, still finishing university, but 
this is so amazing. This is so that's, different. That's his, yeah, his side hustle is starting churches. Yeah. Yeah. And they, they can do that. They It's so, you know, relatively easy if you just like follow Jesus. But I think we made the, the Jesus story a doctrine story, a uh, mm. church label story, uh, in the in the building story. And these these kids today, man, they're made for the streets. They're made for the nooks and crannies of the world. And so, I mean, if and where are they going to see that? If they don't see it in the story of their family, then they're going to have to see it in the story of the larger family. You know, I didn't write The Righteous Brood so that the nuclear family, a mom and dad and their three kids can learn how to like do family better. Because I know many people reading this will not even have a functional family. It'll be a single mom with three kids or it'll be a single dad yeah. with a couple boy. I mean, um, so our families are busted. But when you begin to work, you know, what, what you and I used to always call missional community, when you live life in a community of people that are following Jesus, you actually have a family in that. And so... That's a righteous brood, if you will. That's a group of people that live intentionally and jump into the world together. And I think wherever kids see that, they're going to want to replicate it. Um, wherever they don't see it, they're going to want to get the heck out. Well, that's a bigger, way bigger story, and to be a part of something like that. And, and yeah, that's exactly our life. The other day, I mentioned this actually a couple of weeks ago, just in the intro to a, another episode. But we're sitting here at the house. I'm just going to say it again because it's totally exactly what you're talking about. We're sitting here at the house since Kristen's birthday. Whole team K's here. Whole brood, you know. And uh, the dads take the boys and, and, and little Remy Rage to the park, you know, for a while. So Tina and I are home with Kristen. We're just, ooh, a little moment of the dust settles, right? And cleaning up, getting the next round of food and drinks prepared, you know, and all that. And Kristen says, you know, we were reading this book the other day. And just like my heart was breaking. I was bawling about the kingdom of God and how beautiful it is and the way we all live, you know, with our extended family, our oikos. And she says, you know, through tears, she's like, it's just so beautiful. And I, I want more and more, I want everybody I know to live this way. I want them to not be thinking God's pissed off at them and angry. And like, if they don't do this, then they're that. And they're going to go here and burn forever. And all this, you know, like, this is so beautiful. And she's like telling us this, you know, welling up in tears. And mom and I couldn't have been, now I'm crying. You know, it's like, you know, it's like, that's their heart. And, and they get it. They get the vision for like, but see, it wasn't just, isn't it cool we get to live this way? I think the gospel just says, yeah, but who else, right? Who else? Imagine like, now, now picture that as evangelism. If that was how everybody felt like, man, I just can't wait for my friends to meet mom and dad and be with our family. That's literally what conversion was. Because remember, like the story of coming into the faith, it literally wasn't a converted religious experience. It was an adoption, right? You've been adopted, Ephesians says, into the family. So imagine if that was everybody's, like, their heartfelt longing. Man, I just can't wait to get my friends to to meet the rest of my family, whatever that family is. Yeah. I think it would be much more natural. And Well, you yeah. just mentioned Righteous Brood in the book and all that. So I want to talk about that a little bit because I'm pretty excited about it. I know you've been kicking around these ideas and concepts for this book for well a long time, but you've actually put it into a book now. How you and Cheryl and the kids all sort of grew together, living on mission together, and really being a good news family. And I want to I want to know a little bit more about that. What what inspired you to finally write this book and put it all down? Yeah, well, originally we um, well a lot of it was you know I lived the life that you live. We got to go all over the world and working with churches. The most common question I got over all those years wasn't just about like the missional life. It was they would say, "Well, what do you hate? What do you do with your kids?" Mm-hmm. So they would see us living. That was the most common. So I started to like craft, you know, little teachings about what you do with the kids, you know, and that type of thing. And so 
it was probably eight years ago, I launched four of those chapters in The Righteous Brood for a little ebook for Exponential, and then I just left it. And then when we got here to Alton, I remember I was walking down the street and uh, McKenna drove up and, you know, we all live within like four blocks of each other here in this downtown area. And <laughs> we'd see each other all the time. And, and she just rolled by and, you know, gave her a quick little talk and uh, a hug. And that was it. And I remember thinking, holy cow, like my adult children are with us on our third mission. And they were the ones that were pushing us to come. And so I thought, I think it's time to finish that book because it's kind of a, a cool circle, not just how we raise them. But now they're leading the, I mean, honestly, when we were leaving Denver to come here, it was my wife and my girls and the son-in-laws all wanted to come. I was like the guy going, time out. Why are we leaving Denver? And they were like, remember what God did when we moved to Denver together? And then this whole world, like, mm -hmm. so to watch my adult kids lead us in the next stage of mission, that was sort of the inspiration. Like, I think it's time to finally get the book out for folks. So. Man, I, I'm excited for it, and I, I know a lot of people are going to dig the heck out of it, man. It's just, so it's such our heartbeat. I, I can't wait to get my, all my kids' copies. <laughs> it's going to be amazing. What do you think some of the biggest obstacles holding families back from sort of making the mission of God a family story? To yeah. you know, what, what's, same, what, what, do you, what are you seeing? Same, I bet it's similar yeah. to us. I bet it's similar to us. It's always the same, bro. It's uh, we wrote about it in the Tangible Kingdom. It's the uh, the pesky little problems of individualism, materialism, and consumerism. So individualism is when you want to control your own social arrangement. So you don't, you know, like I'm, a, I always joke, I'm an introvert. So I, I actually don't like people. Like if I had my druthers, I would just like hang out with myself. Like I'm so in love with myself. Like it's amazing. I think I'm maybe the, the one of the greatest guys out there. I never argue with myself. I never ask me to do something. I don't want I know, to No, It goes perfectly. Like really my day is. is perfect as long as... Everything yeah. goes the way I want it. <laughs> the problem with that is that Hugh Halter got crucified with Christ. So it's no longer Hugh Halter that gets to live his life. It's Christ that wants to live in me. So that being the case, that Jesus bought me. He gets to live me. So I don't get to just be exactly who Hugh. It doesn't mean I'm going to be an extrovert, but it just means that whether you're introverted or extroverted, if you invite Jesus to lead your life, he's going to bring his friends over. And he's going to bring him to your house, and he's going to live in your house. And then you got to blow out some walls, and you got to make room for this. You know, when we came here to Alton, a bunch of the community or families in our community were taking in homeless people and whatever. And I thought, hey, it's great. You know, I just hope that we don't have to do that again. And then all of a sudden, uh, we heard of a story through my daughter's social work of, of five children orphaned by their mother being killed in an automobile accident. And they were all going through the foster care. So they were going to separate all five kids, except that this woman's uh, gay lover, who was also 21, raised in the foster care system, was the only one that cared about the kids. She was trying to keep them together, but she, she didn't have a place to put them. So McKenna called and said, hey, mom, dad, here's the story. What do you think? So we're like, bring them over. So it was six months, you know, of the six of them in our basement. And it was terrible. Like, it was so disruptive. <laughs> but that's, you know, the, the call beyond individualism is that, that the, it's the biblical hospitality, that our houses are not our own, our time schedule is not our own, interruptions, that's part of what God does. So to me, you know, if you really want to have kids that would someday give their life for the story of Jesus, they've got to see that level of sacrifice as they grow up, you know? 
um, materialism, you know, it's always there. It's just that we want stuff. We want to work too many hours to make too much money to buy too many things we really don't need. Um, and then consumerism is that kind of a unconscious thing in us that says whatever we choose to do, we're going to choose it for our benefit. And I think this has been a parenting faux pas. Is like we would pick, we'd shop around for churches based on their youth group or their style of music and would hold our kids' attention. And we realized no matter how good the church does this little program stuff, those things don't hold our kids. So mm. um, I think parents a lot of times use consumerism as an idol, if you will. Like, hey, we're going to, we, we just want it to go perfect for our kids. So they choose that stuff instead of uh, what really the gospel is that we sacrifice. It's a downward journey, right? So, um, so I think the sooner we can let our kids know, hey, you know, that, that little church there has really crappy music, but they have a really good heart for people in the city. So we're going to go hang out there. And they actually, they came and afford a youth pastor, but it's okay. So they're really loving on the poor. So that would be a better thing for your children than you grabbing the local megachurch that has all the bells and whistles and the smoke machine on Wednesday night with 2,000 kids. Um, if it's always about us, they are never going to pick up the story of Jesus. So, Yeah. You know, I hear that exact same thing too, brother. And right behind it, if they go like, okay, I get it now. Well, I think we want some of that. Then the next questions that follow wrapped in fear are, yeah, but you know, we've got, we've got teenage girls and how do you have people in your house like that? Like what, you know, what's, I, have you heard that one? Like all the time. And, and I, and you know, the stories, man, of like guns being shot off through our couch, stuff being stolen, you know, homeless people living with us, people living under the back porch we didn't i mean all that stuff freaks people out and i understand it <laughs> and yet it's part of the mission and god's greater i don't know have you heard that one <laughs> all the time this is why we have a little chapter at the beginning of the book it's uh, really about the story of abraham offering isaac back up remember so he has a son and the whole you know the whole earth was going to somehow come through his lineage and then god says I need you to give him back to me uh, so we have a little bit of a gut check early on in the book, like, well, are they your kids or are they his kids? And if they're his kids and he wants to use them and put them in places that maybe are going to be dangerous, which he will, then are you going to keep trying to protect them? You know, I, I shared a story in, in a other book, I can't even remember, about McKenna jumping in at a party between her best friend and an abusive boyfriend, and it ended her D1 hockey scholarship. She was getting. She got a concussion. He went after her because she attacked him, and you know. And I was losing my mind after I heard what happened. I'm looking for this kid to like, like kill him, right? And McKenna would not tell me where he lived. She knew him really well, and she said, "Dad, I'm just come home. I'm not going to tell you." And she grabbed my hand as I'm pacing back and forth. Cheryl was trying to pack her neck with ice, and we're trying to decide: do we take her to the hospital? And I was losing my mind, and she pulled me down on the bed. She said, Dad, your whole life, you and Mom taught us to be peacemakers. And she goes, you don't think that always works out, do you? And I just remember, like, being so proud of her, but also so broken that God had asked her to step in and be a peacemaker in that way. But, again, you know, to me, the hardest thing is to give your own trust of the Lord over your own life way harder, 30 times harder is to trust your kids yep. to the Lord. And so I think the discipleship thing, it's not just how we disciple our kids, it's are we disciples? Can we trust God literally with the physical life of our children? And at that point, you know, I always taught our girls, 
There's no unsafe place in the world when you're with the Lord. He can take you anywhere, and if he's with you, you're as safe as you could ever be in the, the gated suburbs of Denver, Colorado. If he wants you to head to that spot with those crazies, and he's right beside you, you got nothing to worry about. So easier said than done, but that is the story of the gospel. No kidding. And I think baseline under all of that, brother, is I don't think that we all believe that these are really his kids that we get to steward. They bear his image like like we do. And sure, maybe they got your chin or nose or whatever. Hopefully they didn't get your nose too much. Your wife's a whole lot better looking than you are. But yeah, but yeah. I don't think we really believe that those those aren't our kids. Yeah. We're stewarding them. What yeah. a what a blessing to get to. And they're changing us. God's using them to change us probably more than we're changing them. Now that I, you know, we both have grandkids, it's crazy. You realize oh, a whole nother layer of selfish Caesar is being peeled off. <laughs> yeah, it never stops, honestly. But, I, you know, I, I said in that chapter, I said, if you can't get back to past this chapter, it doesn't do you any good to read the rest of the story. Mm. Well, if you can't really, you know, want for your kids, not that just that they succeed and make enough money to, be able to pay their own bills. But if you want them to be the type of people to wake up in the morning and go, Lord, you're the best thing I got going, and I'll follow you no matter what you ask me to do, then why read the rest of the, the stuff? Why even do any of the Christian stuff if that's if we have like a stopping point for our own obedience or the obedience of our children? So, you know, I, I, I've told quite a few people that were going, well, give me some of the tricks and trades of good parenting. I'm like, this isn't a parenting book. Yeah. This was a, a book about, wanting your children to get to the place in their faith with Jesus that they would give their life for him. If that was, you know, and hopefully it's never asked of them, but um, I, I think that's that bigger story. Our kids, like I even talked to McKenna and Allie about the point of the book. They're like, that's yeah, that'll preach. Cause that's, <laughs> that's what it's about. So, well, you said something else in the book that caught me. You said you don't have to be perfect to lead your family into mission. You just have to be honest and willing to set an example, however imperfect. Yeah. What are some, you know, I like to be practical as we can, you know, with this. What are some ways, you know, it looks like, like, what's it start looking like to be a family on mission together? Now, I, I tried to find like four or five little handholds. I, I said, you know, have an open table, which everybody, you can tell what that means. Like, yep. make meals the center of, of your mission with people. So kids know they can bring friends over anytime. So open table, open house, that's hospitality, letting people even stay, live with you if you need to. Let the kids paint the room that was your office or your yoga room and, you know, help them, you know, bring their friends over that need a place to stay. Um, we talked about having an open Bible, uh, open book, if, if you will, that we don't just share Bible passages. We actually invite the kids uh, to talk about it and ask questions about it. So it's, it's like an open book test all the time. So um, we even talked about um, open road, some little things that we thought, when you think about why do our kids end up a little bit more robust than the average kid. It's because we let them see the world. We let them see poverty and we let them see pain and we let them get on airplanes and go to dangerous places. And I, th I think it really did change who they were. So just little little thoughts like that. I think any family, if you had those three or four little open things, I think it would be a game changer. Man, praise God, I can check all those boxes. <laughs> and you're I, that's why the Team K... It's just, it's natural for who you guys yeah. are. Yeah, that last one too is, is uh, it's a gift from God, but our kids too were allowed to travel with us and on their own, and they've been all over the world, and they have seen some nasty, hard stuff. And, uh, and then on top of that, uh, our oldest, our son Caesar, was in the Marines for 10 years in 
saw that whole thing while in war and all, it's marked them. We, we can know exposure, it's the difference. Exposure beyond your bubble might be one of the, I mean, Jesus used it all the time. Hey, boys, let's go across the lake to the capitalist. That was like the no-go's. That's like Spanish Harlem, you know, like that's where we're going today. I mean, we ain't been there. We just heard about it, you know, so. Yeah. I think we got to let our kids uh, get out of, especially out of the Christian bubble, for sure out of that one. For sure out of that bubble, 100%. Man, Hugh, I could keep going forever. Um, unfortunately, we can't. But um, we have a little feature here on the podcast that we do every episode called The Big Three. And in The Big Three, we try to say, hey, you've probably enjoyed this. There's a lot of cool stories here. There's a lot of information to kind of process in your heart. What are the big three sort of takeaways, implications, if nothing else? And this episode, you're going to actually tell us what the big three are. What a bonus. What an upgrade. Are you charging me extra for this, by the way? It's all free. Everything's free. It's all free. Okay. So uh, hold on. Let me get a little setup for this. Uh, As always, if you want a copy of these big three, uh, I'll send you a printable PDF. So you have it if you want to discuss this as a family or with your kids or maybe even people in your community, missional community, whatever you have there. Just go to everydaydisciple.com forward slash big three, B-I-G three, and you can uh, we'll send you that right away. Okay, so Hugh, what are the big three for this week? Number one. Number one, Caesar, is this Sunday-centric pray-before-meal don't do drug and don't make a baby out of wedlock story we've been giving our kids is just simply not big enough anymore to hold their attention. Mm. And it doesn't even help us hold ours. Okay. Yeah. So we've got to have a bigger story that goes way beyond church attendance and daily devotions uh, into an active followership that we, we live out with our kids. So that's number one. Beautiful. All right. Wow. Number two. Well, number two is about not being the perfect family that uh, when we think about what it means to be a righteous brood, that doesn't mean that you get to a certain level of moral superiority and your kids are just like awesome. It means that it's assumed that our families are broken. All of us are broken. So mm. uh, every single righteous brood, is it's assumed that God knows we're broken and then works his magic out of that. Um, that's why we use the story of the Incredibles uh, as the backdrop of this. You got mom and dad, Bob Parr and his wife and the crazy kids, but they got these little superpowers. And uh, but for sure, they're not perfect. And yeah. uh, so don't wait for your for you or anybody in your family to get their act together before you go on mission together. Yeah. God's not looking for perfection, just willingness. Right. Okay. All right. Number three. I'm going to give you a number three. I'm going to go a little bit off the grid here and I'm going to just throw a new one at you. I think the secret sauce is suffering, suffering together. So we had our son's epilepsy all those years, and that taught our family how to open up the front door because we literally couldn't leave the house. So it was dealing with Ryan's suffering even after he died a few years ago, um, taking on the suffering of other people. So, you know, sometimes in your life you will have moments where you're suffering naturally, but the call of the Christian family is that we go find suffering in the world and we jump in and we put a shoulder under that. And so I just feel like that's the secret sauce. When when Altonians have seen now our son die and they almost saw my daughter die and it was a big story here in the city, people always come up to us and they just go, man, your family's amazing. And what they're talking about is not anything amazing. They're talking about our ability to go through stuff with a different perspective and a different focus. So to me, um, I'd say that's the secret sauce um, is dive into pain 
and let your kids dive into that with you. And uh, if you've got pain yourself, just carry it together. And, uh, you know, we always say, you know, you get dealt a certain hand of cards. Some people get like three aces and two kings. Life's pretty <laughs> easy, but most of us don't. We get a two, a five, a seven, and, uh, you know, nothing better than that. We go, how do we play that? That's what God loves to do. So um, don't lament a crappy hand that you've been given. Wow. Well, Hugh, that's an awful lot to think on and chew on, but it's so encouraging. I know that you are my favorite speaker because of that, your ability to motivate. I want to live as a better person, and, a, and I want to love Jesus more because of that, not because I have to or I should, but because I, we get to. Thanks for revving up my heart again with this stuff, brother. You're my favorite listener, Caesar. <laughs> <laughs> Tell Tina I love her and your whole family. And, oh uh, well, we we will, man. I will. I will pass it on to you to Cheryl and the kids. I can't. I, we still got to get there, man. Holy cow! I can't believe it's been all this time. We haven't been to Alton, but this is it. This is gonna throw the switch, and we're gonna get there. All right. Well, let me let me wrap this up. Thanks again for being on, brother. So listen, your family, just like Hugh's family and and ours here at Team K, it's always under construction. There, there's never a perfect time to step out into God's mission, but it's kind of there is because it's always now. You know, just as when you were new parents, you're going to learn a lot more on the job, <laughs> you know, in the preparation beforehand. So you got to dive in. You got to get out of the boat if you want to get wet, as it's been said. So think about one thing you could do as a family to step into this kind of a life together. Just one thing. And, and you might get a little pushback at first, especially if you haven't been living this way. But it's a thrill ride. Make it that. Invite your kids to be a part of shaping those steps. And I think you'll be surprised at how much buy-in you'll get. Well, that's it for today. Time is up. Thanks for being with me. Thanks again to Hugh. I want to let you know that if you want to get a copy of Righteous Brood, I'm going to put the links in the show notes for this episode, and I'll also put the link in the big three. So if you get the big three download, go to everydaydisciple.com forward slash big three, then that link will be right there as well. Hope you'll join me next week. We're going to continue to talk about the gospel and mission as families, as communities, as the church, and how it fits into everyday life and how the gospel speaks good news to all of that. I'll talk to you soon. Thanks for joining us today. For more information on this show and to get loads of free discipleship resources, visit everydaydisciple.com. And remember, you really can live with the spiritual freedom and relational peace that Jesus promised every day. 